You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Good morning, everybody. Y'all doing good? Hey, listen, I'm so excited to be able to come in and share and very honored to have that privilege and uh, just love what God is doing in our community. I've really enjoyed uh, Doug's series that he just completed last week on Ephesians and how it just talks about you're a masterpiece uh, and God has such great purpose and plan for you. So today we're looking at training ground for your purpose. And uh, I wanted to just mention a couple of verses of scripture in Ephesians. Uh, kind of lay some groundwork for a while to share with you. Ephesians 1, verse 7 through 12 says, We have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, uh, which he lavished on us in wisdom and insight. And he's made known to us the mystery of his will. And so fulfilling your purpose is somewhat like a mystery. It's not like you have a a complete set of rules. It's not a Lego set, you know, where you have all these pieces and you've got a plan. I wish it was that way, but it doesn't come that way. It's a little bit of a mystery. It says the mystery of his will, it's according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, in Jesus, with a view to the ministration of the suitable to the fullness of times, that is summing up of all things that are in heaven and things that are on earth. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So every single person here, there has been a predestined or pre-designed purpose for your life. We are not just to live life, but there can be purpose and meaning to it. My prayer this morning found uh, in Ephesians 1 verse 18 is this. I pray that every one of us, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his inheritance in the saints? I just want you to get that. God looks down from heaven. The God of all owns everything. And he looks at you and he says, you are my inheritance. We always view inheritance as something that's extremely valuable. But every person in here, God views you as that. You are an extremely valuable thing to him. So today I want to share of how you can prepare, how you can plan and understand your God-designed purpose in your life. It is a journey. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. In Genesis 1, verse 26, I'll just make reference to this real quickly. It says that every single one of us were created in the image of God. I believe that that means that God put just a small fragment of who he is in every single person. And so the more that we understand the image that we're created in, the more that we understand our identity, the more that we can lead and understand our purpose. And the more that we operate as a community together and we have people people that are seeking to do that, the more that we get to see what God looks like, because it manifests in different ways in everyone based on the purpose that he has planned for our life. Today, our big idea is this, is that your image and your identity 
will determine your purpose. You see, the biggest threat to the enemy is a person that knows why they're on the planet. Then you're dangerous because then you appropriate God's empowerment, God's insight to why you are on this earth. You're not here just for uh, just to take up oxygen, okay? You're here for a purpose. And the enemy wants to destroy that image. One of the ways that he does that pre-Christ is we just follow after the image of the world. The world tells us what image we should be created in. We judge that by money, by popularity, by success, or whatever it may be. And how many do you know you can have all the money in the world and yet be a failure in fulfilling your purpose in life? Today's verse a scripture that I'm going to use is the foundation of what I want to share with you is found in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. And it says this for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, he fell asleep. Okay. So that's what it says about David, that he fulfilled why he was on the planet. And so we're going to look at the life of David and just look at six different things that will determine or will tell us some different ways in which we had to prepare if we're going to understand our purpose. The first one is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll look at verse 1. And there's so much scripture here. There's no way I can read it all. So I'm going to just kind of tell you stories, which I enjoy telling stories from the Bible. But it tells us in 1 Samuel 16, we see the first picture of who David is. And we see David. Some people believe he's around 16, 17 years old. But we see the youth who is called to be king. So at that time, there was a king. His name was King Saul that had been placed over the people of Israel. He wasn't a really good dude. He didn't really follow the things of God. He just wasn't very responsible with that. And so because of that, God speaks to one of his prophets, Samuel, and he says, listen, I want you to go and find and anoint or empower, call out, Put the purpose of God on another person that will be king in the future. So he is told that he's to go down to Bethlehem. He's told that he's supposed to go to the house of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. And so the prophet shows up. He's looking for the king that he's going to anoint. Looking for the king that's going to be the new king in the future over Israel. He walks into the room. There's seven sons that are there. The oldest one, Elab, is there. And he walks up to him. He looks at him. And he just doesn't get a witness. This is the guy. But then he speaks a word to him of warning. And I want you to know that today that God looks at you. And it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. That's not what God's looking for. First Samuel 16, verse 7 says this. For the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance at the height of his stature, because I rejected, for I see not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. One of the names of David is he is known as a man after God's own heart. So David, the youngest, I said there were eight sons, but there were only seven in the room at that time. And so the prophet Samuel goes before every son and it's not him, not him, not him. And that repeats itself to six. 
And so he gets to the end of the line, and you got to admire Samuel here, the prophet. I mean, he was just a man, but he was a man that was used to declare the purposes of God to the people of Israel. And then he turns to Jesse, and he says, hey, listen, do you by chance have any more children? And they go, yeah, I have one more son. Uh, his name is David. He's out in the fields taking care of the sheep. And so he said, why don't you call him in? So David comes in, and when David sees, when he is seen by Samuel, he, he knows, Samuel knows that he is the one. First Samuel 16, verses 12 through 14 reads like this. So he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy. He was beautiful eyes, handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for it is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of God came mightily upon David. And from that day forward, he walked in that power. And yet, in verse 14, it says this about Saul. For now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit was sent by the Lord to terrorize him. I do not understand that theologically at all. All I know is that God can do whatever he wants to do with whatever he wants to do it with to achieve his purposes. So I'll let Doug deal with that of how that God uses evil spirits. I don't understand it. I'm not even going to make a jab at it. I'll let our pastor do that, okay? But there, so you can see the, it's being set up that David is being anointed. He's being called out by the prophet that he is going to be the one. I want you just to know that David was in the midst of doing some very mundane things. He was taking care of sheep. They're boring animals in the whole plethora of different types of livestock. You know what I'm saying? But yet he learned to be faithful. And that's the first purpose principle that I want to share with you today is that you have to be faithful in the small and the mundane things if you're going to achieve your purpose. I can remember um, that, that that is just a process that all of us have to go through. I, I said earlier, you may be what seems to be in a dead-end job right now, but there is God's purpose in the midst of that and he may be doing something in you. He may be giving you a skill, some maturity in your life that's going to help prepare you for your future. So we see David, the youth that is called to be king. The second thing that we see here, we see David, the servant to the king. We find this in 1 Samuel 16, verses through 23. In the midst of the mundane, David was preparing himself for the purpose while he was taking care of sheep, I guess he was really, really bored. The scriptures tells us in the story that he became a skillful musician. You see, you may be in a situation right now. It's not very stressful, and you have a great opportunity to, to, to get some skills that can help you prepare for your, your future. It may be a certificate in some type of computer programming. It could be picking up or understanding an instrument, but it was some skill set that ended up playing in to what would be a help to David. So in 1 Samuel 16, he commands his servants, Saul does, to go and to find a skillful musician because he's being terrorized by an evil spirit. And so in that day and time, we have to assume from this that whenever demonic activity would take place, 
music helps. And I think that's true today, actually, is that in as much as it can stir us up in some really bad ways, if you know what I mean, some of us, you know, whether you're a headbanger or whatever it is, you know, where it can stir up a lot of emotions in the same way as that's negative, good music can stir up other things that can be good in our life. So he was skillful. He played well. One of the servants to Saul said, hey, listen, I know a guy uh, maybe he was doing open mic night down at the local pub. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he was known that he was a skillful musician. So he says, why don't you go get him? So they go out into the field. They say, hey, listen, King Saul wants you to come. Maybe you're going to do an, uh, an audition or whatever. I don't know. But the scripture says that he came before Saul. Saul loved him greatly that he found favor with him. And then in verse 23, it says, so when an evil spirit would come from God to terrorize King Saul, David would play. And the scripture says that he would be refreshed and he would be well. He would be in his right mind. So the purpose principle is this, that just because you're called and anointed or empowered by the spirit of God to be something does not mean that you are. You hear what I'm saying? It's a process. It's a process. It's a process where it takes discipline and work in the natural and the power of the Holy Spirit to prepare us for what God wants to do in the future. So that's David, the servant to the king. He was a youth that was called to be king. He became his servant. The third thing that we see about David is that David, the warrior, it was a very familiar story. If you've been around church at all, if not, this is a really great story if you've never heard it, but it's, it's a time when the people of Israel were face to face with the Pharisees. And when they were with the Pharisees, they had this really big dude. His name was Goliath. I mean, he's big. The scripture says that he was over nine feet tall, makes Tim Duncan look like a small man. So we're talking two feet above Tim Duncan. He's big. The scripture says that he wore 125 pounds of armor on him. It says that the, the end of his spear, the head of it weighed 16 pounds. So that does sound like something you want to fight with, but it was a big dude for him. It wasn't a problem. So David is asked by his father, Jesse, he said, listen, three of your brothers are up at the battlefield with King Saul. I want you to go up there and take them some food. So David does something that's very, very important. In verse 20, it says that David took the flock that he had, he was in charge of, and he left it with the keeper. Now that's really important principle. You're going to see in just a moment why that is. So David goes up to the battlefield. He hears what Goliath is saying to the Israelites. I mean, he's just talking trash. It's like WWF. I mean, they're just shouting at each other. And, you know, who? And it, I mean, it's just a big scene. And yet all the, the Israelites are really fearful. So I'm not going to go fight. They go, no, you go fight. No, no, you go fight. No, I'm not going to go fight. You go fight. So David walks up on the scene. And when he sees this, this is this uh, Philistine Goliath taunting the armies of God. He just says, man, what's going on? And he asks the question, verse 26, is he asks, uh, what does the man get that kills Goliath? Which is a pretty bold statement to say. His older brother Elab, which is probably already ticked off because he wasn't picked to be king, the Otis, he turned to him immediately and says, hey, what did you do with dad's sheep? 
You see, David, if he would not have taken care of his responsibilities, he would have not been able to step onto the battlefield to fight Goliath. But he says, hey, listen, dude, I took care of him. They're with the keeper. Everything's fine. His brother would have had full rights. So listen, you go take care of dad's sheep. See, we got to be faithful with the small things. We can't be looking at the next step when we're in this, in, in this place. We're right in the midst of this. We have to be faithful with that. And so the scripture goes on and it tells us that as he spoke, he asked the question, what will be done uh, for the man who kills Goliath? And he says, listen, your taxes are going to be forgiven and you get to marry the king's daughter. Okay. So that's sound like a pretty good deal. So David is taken before King Saul. And, and he begins to speak to him, and, and, and David spoke what he was speaking to the men. And, and David just makes this very bold statement to Saul. He says, listen, let no man, man's heart fail on account of him, because your servant, I'll go fight against him. And then Saul said to him, say, hey, listen, you're just a youth. And this guy has been a warrior from his youth. So it's the experience of these two warriors. He, go and he says, listen, this ain't going to happen. But David says, listen, you don't understand. There was a time when I was taking care of dad's sheep that a bear came. There was a time when I was taking care of dad's sheep that a lion came. And I want you to know what I did. When they took a lamb, I went out after them. And I literally seized them by their beard and I killed them. And he said, I'm going to do the same thing to Goliath. You see, he had learned God, God to be faithful in overcoming the small battles in his life. And so King Saul says to him, may the Lord be with you. And so he goes off. We know the story. He kills Goliath. And because of that, David is put in charge of the king's army. He grows in prosperity and power. The purpose principle that we see here is that your victories over small battle prepares you for the larger ones. Again, our big idea for today is your image and your identity will determine your purpose. The next one we see about David, we see David as king. Second Samuel chapter five, verses one through 12. At 30 years old, David becomes the king of Israel. He's going to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant. He continues to grow in power and in prosperity. And then the elders of the 12 tribes of Israel come and they say this. Previously, when King, was king, king Saul was king over us, you were the one that led us out and in. So even when he wasn't king, he was already acting like a king. He still honored the king, King Saul. He wasn't subversive to him. He didn't try to undercut his authority. He continued to serve, which is kind of weird that you're serving the man that God has called you to replace. That's kind of a little bit dicey there. And then the Lord said to the elders, David will shepherd my people and he will rule over them. And so it says that he anointed him. The elders did. And so officially he was set in as king. He was 30 years old. He reigned for 40 years. And the scripture says he became greater and greater for the Lord was with him. And David realized the Lord had established him. Second Samuel chapter eight, verse 15 says this. So David reigned over all of Israel. He administered justice and righteousness 
for all the people of Israel. So from the time when he was a little boy or a youth, 16, 17 years old, he's 30 years old now. That shows you the process. It doesn't happen overnight. We see David fulfilling his God-designed purpose to be king, and he grew in power and purpose. The purpose principle with this is that you have to remain humble and honor God with the power that comes into your life. And that's what we see happen all the time. When people get to a place of position, of power, of responsibility, how quickly can they make bad choices? They think that they're entitled to some things, and then they fall. There's a statement that I, have, I came up with a couple years ago, is that God is in the business of taking a bunch of nobodies and making them somebody. But just as soon as you think you're a somebody, he'll make you a nobody again. And I'm telling you, it's the truth. Doug's a testimony of that. I'm a, listen, I'm a nobody, but God puts a little bit of influence on my life. It's not because I've got 100,000 followers on Instagram and I'm an influencer. That's just, no, I'm going to go there. You hear what I'm saying? But, but God is in the business of taking the foolish things of the world, as it says in Corinthians, and he just totally confounds the wise. So all of us qualify. If you feel like a nobody, you're a great candidate to be used of God. But we have to be careful that we stay humble and that we honor God with the power, with the influence, with the resource that he gives us. So the big idea, again, is your image and your identity will determine your purpose. The next thing, thing that we see about David, we see David, the prideful king. Now, this is real juicy here. Okay, so really listen to this. So David, it says in the first verse there that in the springtime, that's when the kings went out to war. David decides to stay home. So he's not acting in his purpose. He's being slothful. And, and so he sends all his armies out to go to war. And so it's in the, in the evening and David gets up from his bed. He's in his big king's palace. And the scripture says he went out on the roof and he's looking down on the roofs of other houses. And he looks upon one roof and there's this absolute, the scripture says this, there's this beautiful woman and she's bathing. David looks at her and goes, hmm, that's a good looking woman. So what David does, he sends his servants out to that house and he says, go bring me that woman. Now, this is a guy that the scripture says that he fulfilled his purpose in his generation and he fell asleep. So if you think you've done something in the past that disqualifies you from fulfilling your purpose, uh, I don't think you've done what David, we're going to see that David is. So David calls for her. Scripture says she comes, comes to the house. She prepares herself. They're intimate. She ends up getting pregnant. So because she's pregnant, her husband end up uh, being Uriah. Uriah is one of the commanders in the army that fights for David. He's at the battle. He calls for Uriah to come home. He, he comes home. And when he comes home, he's doing that, trying to cover up what he did which was to take his wife to be intimate with her. And now she's pregnant. And so now he has a scheme. He's trying to cover it up. He says, hey, listen, dude, man, you've been working so hard. Why don't you just take a break? Man, go down to your house. Enjoy the pleasures of good food and the pleasures of your wife. You see what I'm saying? He's trying to cover it up. 
Uriah is such an honorable man. He says, listen, the Ark of the Covenant, which is symbolic of the presence of God that David had uh, stewardship over. He goes, it doesn't even have a place, a permanent place to rest in. And all my, my friends that are out at war, they're sleeping in tents and fields. And he refuses to take the privilege of going and being with his wife and have good food. And it says that he slept on the steps of David's house. Story goes on. Servants come tell David what's taking place. He calls him in and he has a big feast for him. And then he gets him drunk. I mean, dude, this is like a soap opera, like nobody's business here. He gets him drunk, hopefully that he'll kind of loosen up a little bit and go home and see his wife. But he won't do it. So he sends Uriah back to the battlefield. He sends him with a letter that Uriah doesn't read. He sends him with a letter to the commanders. And in that letter, he says this. When Uriah gets back, I want you to send him to the front line of the fiercest battle that's going on and then pull back. He is orchestrating the murder of Uriah so that he can have Bathsheba. I mean, so this is now this is the man that fulfilled his purpose in his generation and he fell asleep. And so what we see here, the principle, purpose principle that we see here is that pride comes before a fall. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says that pride goes before destruction in a haughty spirit before stumbling. Abraham Lincoln gave a great quote in regards to this. He said, nearly all men can handle adversity. But if you really want to test a man's character, give him power. And that's true with all of us. So we have to be careful and learn from this deal of David, the prideful king. The next thing we see here, and I'm closing with this, uh, David, the repentive king. So what happened? Bathsheba was pregnant. She goes to give birth to her baby and her baby's dead, dies. So David in Psalms 51 pins this chapter and he's owning it. So what we see here, David, the repenting king found in Psalms 150 of Psalms 51 verses one through 13. And David says, be gracious to me, God, for your loving kindness, according to your compassion, blot out my transgressions, transgressions, wash me from my iniquity. I know my sin is ever before me. I sinned against you and you alone. You are justified to speak and blameless to judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Verse seven, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me, O God, a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of, of your salvation and sustain within me a willing spirit. Then I'm going to teach other people what I learned from this. And then other people are going to be converted. So the principle that we see here is that when you and I find our place or find ourselves in a place of pride, that we must humble ourselves before God. First Peter 5 verse uh, 5 through 7 says this. You younger men, subject yourself to your elders. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you in the proper time. So we're to clothe ourselves. Our attitudes toward one another shouldn't be something of haughtiness or pride or a class system, but it should be one of us honoring God first and then honoring, putting value and worth on each other. So our big idea, your image and your identity will help determine your purpose. So I close with this. Let me go over these principles again. We see David as a youth who is called to be king. The purpose principle that we see here, you have to be faithful in the small and the mundane things. David is a servant because you're called and anointed doesn't mean that you are now. It takes discipline and work in the natural and the Holy Spirit for us to fulfill our purpose. We see David, the warrior, your victory over small battles prepares you for the larger ones. We see David, the king, the purpose principle is you have to be careful to remain humble and honor God with the power that comes into your life. We see David, the prideful king. We see the purpose principles. Pride comes before a fall. So we need to stay humble. And the last one, we see David, the repenting king. When you find yourself in a place of pride, humble yourself before God. Every single one of you have a purpose. You are not disqualified by your past. Your past does not determine your future. That's why the scripture says, don't call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. But behold, I want to do something new in your life. Will you not be aware of it? Which means you could be missing something new of what God wants to do in your life. And as I close and Doug will come here in just a minute. Just to say a prayer of blessing. The one of the things that I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit say today is that I was to help people break words of limitation. There may be words that have been spoken over you from your father, your mother, from a boss, but there are words that says you're not smart enough. You'll never accomplish anything. You've been compared to a brother or sister or whatever it may be, but they have become words of limitation upon your life. And I believe that today that God wants to break some words off some people's lives. And so I'm going to ask you to, to bow your head just for a moment, just so that we can give some privacy to people. And if you would say, Mark, I believe that there's some words that have been spoken over my life that I would like to say, I want no longer to have power over my life. If you're one of those people today, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to come. There are hands all over the place. I believe that today, that God is going to break off some words. God is going to break off some patterns of the enemy off your life, and you're going to fulfill your purpose. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I come and I break the words that have been spoken over my brothers and sisters. Father, I speak to the purpose and the plan of God over every, every person's life. Father, I'm thankful that you say when we find purpose in you, that we find our passion. I'm thankful that we find fulfillment, that we have something to live for. We find meaning in life and we have confidence before you. Father, I'm thankful that the greatest thing that we get from fulfilling our purpose is that one day we stand before you and we say, Father, I give you my life. I hope it's pleasing to you. I've tried to fulfill my purpose. Father, I thank you for every person here. Let our passion and our purpose be established in our life in Jesus' name. You guys join me in thanking Mark for an awesome message today.
Isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, so, look, I, uh, what Mark shared with us today fits so well with where we're going next week. You know, a lot of us have had limiting words spoken over us, and we can overcome those with one of the currencies of heaven. Also, we've seen people who can't get along right now. We've seen this in the media and social media and other medias where the conservatives are mad at the liberals and vice versa. And we've seen that in our own families where over the past couple of years, people just are in these tensions with each other, right? Well, we're going to learn how to overcome all that through one of the currencies of heaven, which is honor. David understood honor. And if you want to get ahead or grow in your identity and who God created you to be, you will learn how to leverage and spend this great currency of heaven, which is honor. We're going to break that down next Sunday. Now, uh, one of the things I want to remind you about is, as it's, I've been tasked with talking about our offering today, and I've got this friend that calls it the shakedown, right? Uh, and I kind of laugh about that because I, I was thinking about this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul says, about giving, you know, like at church to church offerings and stuff like that. It says um, that don't give under compulsion or due to pressure because God loves a cheerful giver. And that's why we don't like put the pressure on you here at church because we don't want you to give from the wrong reasons. What God's most concerned with regarding our giving of money is our hearts, not just the giving of the money. He cares mostly about our hearts. And so you don't want to give because some pastor like pressures you. Have you ever seen those shows where they, you know, things on TV where the pastor says stuff or the preacher says something like, hey, if you don't give money to my ministry, then things are going to go wrong in your life or whatever, or you're, you're not going to go to heaven or some weird thing like that. Well, that's not the way we do. We don't give uh, because of pressure, but, but scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. So can you guys do me a favor before we, we do the offering? Uh, can you just smile at me real big? See, I like your smiles. That's very good. Okay. So what I want you to do, I really did this. So awesome smiles. Will you turn to someone next to you and say, you're a cheerful giver. Go ahead and tell them. See, some of you, uh, I love that, that little exercise, because some of you have been sitting through church like you drank you were like marinated in pickle juice earlier, you know, you're like, and then when someone turned you and said, and smiled and says, God loves a cheerful giver, it felt kind of good, didn't it? To smile. And that's what giving does for us. Do you think God asks us to be generous because he needs it? Who needs it more? Yeah, I know I do. <laughs> I need it. And so whether it's, you know, giving to the, friend that I met who lives on the streets, you know, his name, Corey, met a guy on the streets or whether it's here in the church. God loves it when our hearts are cheerful in our generosity. There are four ways to get that done at City Tribe Church since we don't like pass the plates. There's nothing that says no pressure, like putting a plate in front of someone's face and saying, put something in there, right? <laughs> but there are four ways by, by mail, text to tithe, you know, you can go to the giving stations located near the exits, or you can uh, go on our website with your mobile device, uh, citytribe.church slash tithe. Tithe is spelled T-I-T. 
T-H-E. So uh, let's go ahead and stand up and let me speak some words of benediction over you before you guys take off. And if you're new to a church, the word benediction is just like speaking some positive words based on the scriptures and the texts that uh, we hope will land on us. If you're next to your husband or wife or someone like that, just grab hands if you want to put a hand out in a position to receive. Dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from here, may you walk from here knowing your identity that leads you to your purpose. And your purpose is good to take his love, his grace, and his generosity to those that desperately need it. So go from here and walk in your purpose. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.